Blog Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the premiere segment of Franchising and You, a production of Franchise Foundry. My name is Paul Segretto. I'll be your host Saturday mornings at 9.30 Eastern Time, 8.30 Central Time. If you're interested in learning more about owning your own business and considering franchising as the path to business ownership, then this podcast is right for you. If you're interested in expanding your small business portfolio, then you're in the right place. And if you're a current business owner exploring whether or not to franchise your business, then franchising is right for you as well. Before we bring on today's guest, I'd like to thank our great sponsors, FranFund, Spadia Lignana, and Retail Solutions, who without their support, the vision for franchising and you might have sat dusty on the shelf for the foreseeable future. FranFund partners with franchisees to get the financing they need to get the doors to their businesses open quicker and easier by crafting personalized forward-thinking funding strategies that help solidify the dreams of franchise ownership. FranFund positions franchisees for long-term success. And with its own in-house lending team who takes care of the underwriting, FranFund is able to accelerate the funding process so clients can move forward even faster. To learn about the personalized options that are available to you, visit FranFund.com and get a free funding toolkit. Sponsors, Spadia Lignana and Retail Solutions. Spadia Lignana is a national boutique franchise law firm representing franchisees and franchisors. The franchise attorneys at Spadia Lignana are sharp, experienced attorneys who understand the business and the goals and aspirations of their clients. New franchisees need to understand the contracts, and commitment they're making when joining a brand, including, but not limited to, the FDD, their entity, and their retail space. Spadio Lignana will help walk franchisees through every step of the process. <clears throat> the firm also helps franchisors navigate the myriad of federal and state regulations, keeping them on track to grow and support their franchisees. Speed, service, and difference, and diligence are the foundational traits you'll find in each and every one of the attorneys at Spadia Lignana. Learn more about Spadia Lignana at www.spadialaw.com. <clears throat> Our last sponsor is Retail Solutions, who helps franchisees locate, negotiate for, and lease or purchase the retail space, buildings, sites, or built to suits best suitable for their new business ventures. Their goal is to have long-lasting relationships with their clients. They are marathons, not sprints. They take pride in fulfilling their clients' expansion needs and strategies. Retail Solution clients know that they will be with them for the long haul, with Retail Solutions representing national and regional retail and franchise clients wherever their business growth leads them. Retail Solutions is a member in several national professional organizations, including the International Franchise Association and the International Council of Shopping Centers. You can find Retail Solutions on the web at retailsolutionsre.com. Again, we're most thankful for our sponsors, and you'll actually be able to learn from their expertise and advice starting next Saturday, August 4th, when Tom Spady of Spady Lignano will be my guest as we discuss franchise disclosure documents, otherwise known as. The following Saturday, August 11th, my guest is Jeff Sieber, President and CEO at FranFund. Listeners will learn about the various ways to finance their franchise. Then Sherry Sanchez, a principal at Retail Solutions, will join me on Saturday, August 18th, to discuss the importance of finding the right location your franchise. Well, let's start this very first segment of Franchising and You 
by asking the question, why franchising? And who better to help us than our special guest, Stan Friedman? Stan is passionate about franchising. His past experiences include leadership position with brands such as Blimpy International, Windzone, Maggie Moon, and Tudor Doctor. Years of franchise development and relationship experience have uniquely prepared Stan for his present role as president of FRM Solution. FRM delivers CRM solutions designed specifically for franchising. He's out of the box tools and power productivity in franchise development, store opening, legal compliance, site visits, and much more. FRM Solutions returns valuable cycles of time to overburdened franchisors' time spent building top and bottom light growth for their franchisees. Always an outside-the-box thinker, Stan has been a longtime proponent of diversity in franchising. That work began at Blimpy when he created an urban expansion initiative heralded by the media and leaders of the public and private sectors. This culminated in a White House visit where he and Blimpy founder Tony Conza personally participated in the President's Conference for Community Empowerment. Later that year, this program was celebrated as Blimpy International's Innovation of the Year. In further recognition of his work in diversity, Stan proudly accepted the IFA's Ronald D. Harrison Diversity Award in 2010, an honor only bestowed six times previously in the IFA's 50-plus year history. Stan's current work in diversity focuses on pro athletes and their transition from playbooks to operation manuals. He and seven-year NFL veteran Michael Stone do so through PAFI, the Professional Athletes Franchise Initiative, a program the two jointly created. Last, Stan serves on the IFA Supplier Board as a founding member of the IFA Diversity Institute and co-hosts with me on Franchise Today, a live weekly podcast also on Blog Talk Radio and available for download at iTunes. That's Wednesday mornings at 11 a.m. Central Time. Calling Atlanta home for 28 years, Stan also serves on the board of the Southeast Franchise Forum. And as you can tell, Stan is a very busy man. So, Stan, I am honored and proud to welcome you to Franchising and You. Hey, Paul, great to be here. We should have cut that down in half. For, I mean, it's only a 35 or 45-minute show today, right? <laughs> well, <laughs> I thought it was important to really have our listening audience, a lot of people that are not yet in franchising, really understand the background as we ask the question and answer the question, why franchising? So um, I appreciate you saying that, but certainly it was, uh, it was well-deserved. <laughs> Well, I appreciate it too, Paul. Thanks so much. And it's great to be here with you today. Well, uh, you know, Saturday morning we had a, a little snafu in getting started with uh, Blog Talk Radio as a uh, a new podcast. seemed like the week for uh, technical difficulties on Blog Talk Radio as we had a myriad of them ourselves on Franchise Today earlier this week. But we're here now. We're live. It's our premiere segment of Franchising and You and Again. I'm so happy for you to be here. Um, Not many people in franchising know as much about franchising as you do, and from so many different parts of the the franchise equation, franchisor, um, supplier. You've been active on multiple IFA um, committees. Just the the list goes on and on. So I think you bring a, a tremendous well-rounded experience to the table. And also, uh, having uh, spent time working with uh, MFV Expos 
in uh, doing some of the uh, A to Z's of franchising at the various major expos across the country. Uh, I don't think there's many people that might be more uh, deserving of you to be our guest. I can't thank you again, Paul, enough. I appreciate all the accolades and, um, you know, it's just, it is a passion, as you said at the top of the, of the broadcast. And, uh, I've loved it. It's been very good for me and to me. And it's something that others have helped me along the way in, in spreading my wings in this business model. And I, I just kind of pay back by paying forward. And it's, it's a great business model for that. And that, you know, franchising is all about interdependency. It's all about, uh, accomplishing more together in ways that individually we could never have risen as high. So it's just been my life. And, uh, and as part of that, I just love to help people get started. If, you know, I don't stand to earn a penny or a nickel or a dollar from anyone who does or does not go into franchising, um, as an individual. So this is just chicken soup from my soul to yours and, uh, no remuneration in it for me at all. So if I can share and pay it forward, um, it's good for my soul to be paying back those who helped me when I started. Absolutely. And as we know, there are um, a lot of people out there um, that misunderstand. Um, there's miscommunications uh, and especially myths uh, around franchising. So why don't we start with that white elephant in the room and start with addressing some of the myths of franchising. Uh, again, in so many individuals, I mean, including you know, business and political leaders that really do not understand franchising or even the basics, the basic tenets of franchising. Well, and that's unfortunately true. Um, You know, a franchise business, there's a saying that we wear out because we repeat it so often that we get tired of hearing it. But for the audience, they really should understand that in a franchise business model, you're in business for yourself. You're operating a business that's inside of a 12 or 1400 square foot box, perhaps at a retail location. Well, that's your business. But if you're a franchisee of a brand that's licensed you to operate that business, you don't own the the, the business company like Subway or whatever the the concept is. You you own the rights to use their systems. You own the rights to use their branding and their operating models inside your store and you're operating under their trademarks and under their policies and procedures, but you're not subway and, you know, politicians and people in mass don't understand that you're in business for yourself, not by yourself. You've got the ops manual, you've got the training and you've got all the resources of that organization, whether it's a subway or something else as large as a subway, but you, you know, you're not corporate subway. And people get confused. People think that the franchisee is either an employee of the brand or affiliated somehow with the brand or that the brand actually owns that location, which is simply not the case. So there's this fine line of confusion that all too many people struggle with, whether they're politicians in Washington or uh, state representatives in state houses across the country who just really misinterpret the under and don't understand that franchising is not a wall street. It's not, uh, it's not big business. It's main street. It's small business. It's mom and pop business, but mom and pop has affiliated with and locked into a major brand so that they can mitigate against failure 
and they can still be entrepreneurial in their efforts to get into business, but they're doing it with proven methods and systems and tools that have been tried, tested, and proven over time so that they can have a better chance of putting their head down and operating and executing in the business with the tools provided by the franchisor. And the franchisor is out there heads up, you know, further developing the brand, coming up with new menu items, coming up with new tools and resources for the years ahead. And it's that partnership that creates that symbiotic relationship of synergy and interdependency that makes the franchise model work. Very well said. Um, and I like the way you put it about the difference between Wall Street and, and Main Street. And, of course, we know there are some players that, God, they could be on Wall Street owning, you know, 100, 200, you know, sure. locations themselves. But it did start with, with one, and it was that entrepreneurial spirit they had that just capitalized and capitalized. And, of course, you know, one, a, a friend of both of ours that comes to mind, you know, is Aziz Hashim. Um, and he started out very much. You know, mom and pop, you know, Main Street, USA. That's correct. And there are so many others who have succeeded, and why not celebrate the fact that they can grow their businesses into empires, and and those empires become as big, perhaps, as some companies that are traded publicly on the markets. But but the business model of franchising is is all about the combination of the successes that came from others before you, helping you mitigate the risk of the investment that you're making in your own business. And so you walk in and you put the key in the door and that, that business is your, that's your place of business. You, you own that. But the confusion so often is that that franchisee is probably an employee of that big company. Not true. That big company actually owns that local store. That too not true. There's a licensed relationship between the corporate entity that is the franchise company and the individual who is the franchisee. And together, that license enables the local business owner to operate using the tools and resources of the big national brand. So that lends to another uh, myth that goes around in franchising. Uh, with respect to, you know, the McDonald's of the world, the really large brands, where so many people don't look at them as uh, franchises, so to speak. They look at it this big corporate uh, behemoth that provides a tremendous advantage to their franchisees by, and here's the myth, paying for all the marketing and advertising uh, done by the franchisees. And, of course, we know that's not true. Again, it's one of the basic tenets of why franchising is so powerful. It's not true. Of course it's not true. And and why would McDonald's need to or have a franchisee if they were going to do everything themselves corporately? The idea of the symbiotic, again, relationship between the franchisor and the franchisee when it comes to advertising is, you know, an individual goes and and opens a restaurant and it calls it Joe's hamburger stand. Well, Joe's hamburger stands hardly going to be able to afford perhaps local coupon marketing, much less national television. But if you're a McDonald's franchisee, you not only can afford national television, your national TV spots might even be on the Super Bowl because collectively 
It's the investments of all of those franchisees that represent the system across the country that are making small contributions of, of their sales, percentage of their sales. Could be a couple of pennies on every dollar that they ring up. But when you take thousands of locations, if you're you know a large company like a McDonald's, and you add up all of the percentages of gross sales that are collectively the the system-wide sales across the country, you've got some powerful marketing money to get on TV with. So on one hand, Paul, we create our own problems, literally. We make it look to the general per, general person or people and that don't have the experience of understanding how franchising actually works. We make it look too easy. We make it look like it's corporate. It's actually a <laughs> statement and a testimonial. It's a, it's, a, it's a testament to success that that it looks to be that big company, but literally that big company looks that way because every single location of those major franchise businesses are operating from an operations manual. They're, they're marching to the same drum and the same beat of the drum. They're operating their business in one city the same way as it's operated by other people who own their local locations in other cities. The franchisor's ops manual and and policies and procedures dictate that they protect the brand together. You have to protect the brand so that the experience that the consumer has walking through the door is the same and consistent everywhere. So franchise companies that look like they are huge corporate entities, on one hand, they're doing their jobs. You know, they're, they're, yeah. they're making sure that the customer's experience is consistent, but it also at the same time paints some misimpression perhaps in the minds of the layman as to what this business model is really built upon and how does it really work. And that's kind of the dual edged sword that we wrestle with when government and state and local and even uh, national federal government tries to interfere and impose sanctions on the success of franchising because they try to make it look like something it isn't. And it's a very hard thing to help them understand that it's a collective uh, undertaking that, Without the individual owner-operator at the main street level, you'd not have these large corporations, but they are different people doing different jobs. There's the role of the franchisee, the role of the franchisor. The franchisor's role is to put out all those resources and to train and to make, maintain brand integrity. On the franchisee side, it's to execute and do everything that those manuals say so that the customer's experience is guaranteed and assured to be the same no matter where they go to experience the brand. Absolutely. You know, and there's also a myth on the, on the other side of the coin where you have individuals think that it's the, uh, the brand that's getting the total investment. I've heard just recently somebody say, well, McDonald's must real, you know, really be uh, an expensive brand to get involved in. And I said, yes, you know, it is. Um, it, it real estate costs, the building costs, equipment, etc. And they said, they said to me, how is that fair though, that the franchisee has to pay McDonald's all that money? And I said to them, well, their franchise fee is only around $50,000. The rest of the investment they would be making, whether they were building a similar building for themselves or as a McDonald's, and of course, as a McDonald's, there's certain blueprints in the whole nine yards. But, you know, so many people think it's the franchisors, you know, making a fortune that poor franchisees are investing, you know, 200, 500, 
$800 million, and it's going into the brand's pocket. Hmm. Well, all that money is doing on the initial fees that uh, anyone in your audience might be considering a franchise is, is going to be putting down what seems like a, a big chunk of money, and of course it is. It, it takes money to make money, and that's probably the first most important ingredient is the best way to make a fortune in franchising is to start with one, you know, whether it's a little bit of your own yeah. and some of it is borrowed or seed money, but you have to have the investment to start. And what you're really paying in that initial fee is you're giving the franchisor uh, a repayment of the money that was invested to create that brand and to create the business model. I mean, franchisors go into business and start new uh, franchise brands at tremendous expense and the initial fees that franchisees pay to them is to help recuperate that initial investment that the franchisor made in building out that brand and making the opportunity possible for you to become a franchisee and then together you march in lockstep as you grow the franchisor is growing by adding more franchisees and the franchisee is growing by adding more consumers who are coming to take advantage of the brand that he has franchised at his location. So it's a win-win scenario when everybody does the part that they're there to play and understands their roles and understands that the consistency of experience and brand integrity is what's paramount to make it work. You know, you use that phrase a couple of times, Stan, brand integrity. And of course, in order to you know, protect the brand. Um, a lot of times legal um, maneuvers and actions have to be put into effect. And, of course, a franchisor um, has to have uh, quite a bit of resources to be able to afford some of the, um, you know, legal counsel. And then hopefully not that doesn't get to litigation. But, of course, uh, litigation is quite expensive. And I know a lot of people that uh, get involved in franchising, you know, immediately think that, the franchise agreement is egregious and it's one-sided and a lot of them, you know, just don't realize that the compliance issues, the enforcement issues, maintaining that brand integrity, maintaining the integrity of the entire system, you know, is a big responsibility of the franchisor. And I think, you know, simply put to those individuals that misunderstand it is if you had a franchisee in a market next to you, you know, fellow franchisee, and something was going wrong, whatever that case might be, certainly you would want the franchisor to be able to bring them back in line or whatever the uh, the resolve might be. And immediately, you know, they get it like that. But again, that's another misperception going in. It's It really is. And, you know, there's, there's a dichotomy in this, um, Paul, in that, you know, franchising as a business is built on – I mean, franchise documents can be as, as thick as war and peace. So there is a lot of compliance and there, and there is a lot of regulation. And what I would tell people when I was still a franchisor who would come looking at any brand that I was involved with as an executive, I'd explain to them, it's really hard to get your, wrap your head around this, that, you know, that one-way draft that you refer to that's written and appears to be 100% in favor of the franchisor I just kind of tweak that a little bit and say, you know what? It's really in favor of the brand and it's protecting the brand. And if you're an outlaw that's going to come here and think you can add flavor number 28 to a 27 flavor profile, you can't do that in a franchise. You can do it in your own business. 
But again, consistency of experience. Every location's got to be treating clientele, customers to the same to the same experience. And so you can't be a rogue or an outlaw. Well, if you become a rogue or an outlaw, the only protection the franchisor has to protect the brand, which every other franchisee is a stakeholder in, is that he's got that strength in those documents to enforce the brand's position. So as a prospective franchisee, looking at a franchise agreement and getting a little nervous about all these why-fors and therefores and thou shalt this and thou shalt not that, understand that it's not written so much to protect the franchisor as it's written to protect all of the stakeholders, which include all of the franchisees that are not going to go rogue, that don't want their brand's integrity to be damaged or harmed. You know, you can't fool people, Paul. I, I joke about this an awful lot. If you... Uh, if you took a, a Walmart or a Sam's Club or a Costco and you put a Neiman Marcus sign over the door, you know, most people won't need more than one or two steps through the threshold before <laughs> they realize that they're not where they thought they were going. <laughs> All right. Well, yeah. the same is true. Same is true at the unit level with any franchise business. If, if a franchise company is doing its job right, they're building a brand that has a, a consumer allegiance Customers have an expectation of what they should expect when they walk through the door of any location of that brand. And so if somebody goes rogue and messes with that, they're messing with everyone else's stores and everyone else's consumers because you're going to confuse customers by messing with the brand. So it looks like a one-way draft in a thick, heavy document um, and a lot of legalese, and it is. But it's there for that very reason, protect the brand. Franchising has a, is a business model is built on, on a lot of those legal documents, but really it's also built on trust and integrity and symbiotic relationships. And, and you have to have the transparency to, um, to understand that the only way you can keep that brand integrity is to have a strong stick if you need to hit with it. And, and literally that's not to take advantage of or hurt an individual franchisee. It's to protect all of the other franchisees that are impacted by bad behavior if one store goes rogue. Perfectly said. <clears throat> you know, a lot of people think that, you know, the franchisor is this uh, iron fist and they're not open to, you know, communications. And, of course, I'll refer back to McDonald's where we know uh, a number of their products were actually the invention of the, uh, the franchisees. And I was reading an interesting uh, article in Forbes the other day about the, <clears throat> the franchisee under Ray Kroc at McDonald's that felt the brand should come out with a signature product that rivaled Burger King's Whopper. And he asked permission uh, of the brand to try to develop something. And they gave him, Ray Kroc gave him permission and told him the only thing that he couldn't do was uh, he couldn't use products that weren't already part of the McDonald's uh, repertoire of, of, of ingredients and products. Um, he did bend the rules a little bit because he went for an additional piece of bread to put in the middle of the what then became uh, the Big Mac. And you think about, it's hard to think about what McDonald's would be without the Big Mac. And, of course, there was a couple of other things. I mean, the Egg McMuffin, the, the filet of fish um, was brought to 
uh, fruition by a franchisee, I believe it was Indiana or Ohio, uh, to deal with Catholics during Lent and giving them a, uh, a line, uh, a product line to, uh, to be able to uh, have in order to uh, satisfy their, you know, religious upbringing and what have you. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and, and we see that a lot. We see, you know, more and more franchisors, you know, having just this transparent two-way communications. So, you know, another myth is that, you know, people think that the franchisor sits up in an ivory tower and rules with an iron fist and you do it my way and no other way. They're businessmen, They're business people, just like everybody else. And if there's a way of improving the system, they're going to be open ears. But as you said, and use the word rogue. They don't want you going out and doing it on their own. If they're going to do it, they want it to be well-tested and for the benefit of everybody. Absolutely. You know, Paul, I've, I've spoken more about brand than anything, but literally I think there are, there are three pillars that every franchise business is built upon, no matter whether it's food and beverage or child services or elder care or air conditioning. I mean, it could be anything, but three pillars are, are, are the three fundamentals to me. The brand, and we've spoken a lot about that, the operating system that the franchisor has has proven up to help a person get into that new business and have the playbook from which to learn how to operate and execute. And the third is that ongoing support and development of the brand and the communications that you're talking about will come out of that third pillar um, as that brand grows large enough to put together an advisory council, to put together marketing co-ops, to have franchisee input and they are you know there are more brands with those uh institutions like that that have um vehicles for franchisee input be it through those advisory councils or through their co-ops to enable the ongoing support and development of that brand to be healthy you know it's not that you you can't communicate good ideas to your franchisor. It's not that you can't, like you said, the ideas of the filet of fish and those menu items. You have to be able to communicate through channels, though. I mean, it, it's no different than any other form of, 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 of government or anything else in our communities. We don't like how something gets done. We make our elected officials know about it. We can go to a town hall meeting. We can go to the polling place on the next election and pull a lever for someone else. We've got communication tools and we've got options but you can't go riding in the street. All right. So this is no different than that. There's structure. Mm-hmm. There are, there are, there and, are ways and, to and, communicate and in talk, our channels. Absolutely. And, and, and as you talked about the symbiotic relationship, we talk about relationships which franchising is really built upon, but it's interesting when I'll ask a, a candidate, you know, well, um, if you want to do something on your own, let me put it this way. If you have a partner in the business and you went away on vacation for two weeks and came back and he changed a handful of the menu items, how would you feel? And he said, well, I would be ticked off. I would want to at least have that discussion. I said, exactly. You know, you're in a relationship with a franchisor. And if you feel that there's something uh, that needs to be improved upon, uh, the lines of communications need to be open and you need to discuss it in the right manner. And, and you know, as we talk about this, yeah, go ahead. No, no, finish up. Finish your thought. I was just going to say, you know, there there are a number of other myths, but as you were talking about the brand and the systems and the processes, you know, you you were also building a case for, you know, why franchising. You know, when somebody thinks about, you know, owning their business, I mean, you know, all of that 
uh, lends to it. But I was going to ask you, and of course, um, share the thought that you were just going to share uh, ahead of this, if you'd like. Uh, what should you know candidates, interested parties, what should be their first steps in learning about franchising, and what resources are available uh, for the person just entering that that path, so to speak? Well, you kind of you went and pivoted right to where I was going anyway, so uh, you set the table for me. What I wanted to say was we've, we're making it sound uh, like a scary thing to think about franchising, well, and it's not really. There are over 700,000 franchise businesses in the U.S. Um, that, that are operating across 75 or 80 different industries. So, you know, it, it works, is the message. It's, it's a business model that works, but, and this is the big but, it's not for everyone. So you have to have the spirit of the entrepreneur, and you still have to go to risk. You have to put money and time and energy into building a model or a business if, if you're going to be a franchisee, but you're going to give up some of the freedoms that you might have if you were doing everything as a true entrepreneur, molding the clay and, and doing everything by yourself. Well, that's why the success rates are higher for franchisees typically because they're, they're not having to create it and do it at the same time. They're implementing something that has already been created and proven. And so that's kind of the, one of the fundamental differences. And, and the really important thing to do for a prospective franchisee is to learn more about the business model of franchising. Um, learn about whether you um, introspectively have the kind of makeup of, yeah, I'm still willing to be a little risk taker, but I want to mitigate against failure. So um, learn about the business model and how it operates and functions best to see if you've got that a threshold of engagement that would work knowing that you're giving up a little bit of your freedom or your independence to, to have to operate under someone else's playbook. I strongly recommend that any candidate that's considering franchising learn a lot more about themselves first. Get sensitive to your introspectives. Know what's important to you. You may think that McDonald's, you know, whatever brand you're a consumer of would be great to operate one of those as a business owner, but not always the case. It may well prove to be okay, but you know, making sausage and eating sausage are different experiences. And so <laughs> learn, learn about yourself, learn what's important to you. Um, I would recommend anyone that's considering getting into business, um, take uh, advantage of Zoracle, Zoracle profile, Zoracle.net, Z-O-R-A-C-L-E.net. In a seven or eight minute online quiz, you can learn a tremendous amount about what's important to you. I think that the best franchise for someone to buy is, is one that's going to satisfy their needs. You know, it's not just money, but learn about what's important to you. If, if money were never an object, if you never needed for anything again financially, what would get you up out of the bed every day with fire in your belly? What would get you passionately out there to go do what? Well, find a franchise that hits the bell for you like that personal fire in your belly. You'll never be going to work. You'll never, it won't feel like a job. You'll be doing what you love, but learn what that is. And his Oracle profile can help you learn a little bit more about yourself. So you can then put your uh, focus on trying to find a business that will make that part of your life feel as satisfied as knowing that your bank account is secure as well. 
you know, there there are so many uh, opportunities that are out there in franchising. Of course, you mentioned about how many franchise businesses there are um, across a bunch of different industry segments. But there's also um, different opportunities that lend themselves within all of that, which, of course, are, you know, single-unit opportunities, multi-unit opportunities, um, area development opportunities, but uh, even opportunities – you know, for people that are just looking to replace a job or looking to achieve wishes, hopes, and dreams, and maybe that's bringing a family member uh, into the system, maybe spouses that want to work together. Uh, we're seeing a lot of, of seniors uh, partnering up right now with millennial single-parent grandchildren. Um, it, it's just, it, it just it, it seems endless uh, as to the uh, the opportunities that are out there. And then, of course, you have the sophisticated investors that are looking at ROI, return on investment. And if I invest X amount and I have X amount of locations, this is what I look to to get in return, and they build an infrastructure accordingly uh, to be able to manage it. Uh, and then, of course, there's ways to you know, go through it, uh, work their way up to from single unit to multi-unit, et cetera. Talk a little bit about you know, how those opportunities, you know, can play out for individuals. Well, I would say to all of what you've just said, which is 100% accurate, um, but I'd peel that onion back again to the introspective and say, begin with the end in mind. Begin with the end in mind. Know what the end is for you. What do you why are you doing this? What What is it that you're doing this for? And you, you raised a few of those points, Paul, whether it's to just build legacy or are you creating a job for yourself um, or are you looking to get into business with um, maybe a child or a grandchild and work together with them to help them kick it off and then you retire and, and you leave your legacy. You need to understand a lot about why you want to get into the business you want to get into and then you need to look at franchise concepts that align with what your vision and your mission is because not all franchise companies are going to want to have um, maybe absentee ownership. Maybe you're, you're not going to be as hands-on. Some will insist that you are involved every day. So, you know, you need to align you, for, before you can align with a brand. I always want you to first do what I suggested with this Oracle is learn more about what's driving you know what your mission is and what you're looking for and then start searching for brands that are in alignment with your mission and your vision for why you're getting into this business model. And then make certain that they are able to take care of themselves. You know, you study the FDD, you go to the Spadia law firm, you get an attorney to read those documents for you and look at their financials for you and make certain that they can afford to support themselves, much less you as a franchisee. And, and then you, you go out to, um, to FranFund and get your own money so that you can buy in and become an affiliated franchisee of that brand. But you want to do these things in order. And literally, getting the financing in, in place is an early on thing. You do not want to start looking at franchises before you know what you can afford. It would be like trying to go out and buy a house. You don't want to start running around with a real estate agent looking at million-dollar homes to find out that you're only qualified for a $100,000 home and no $100,000 home is going to look very appealing to you after you've looked at million-dollar homes. So begin with the end in mind. <laughs> That's for sure. <laughs> and the, That's and for the sure. same, is true, same is true with 
making sure that the franchisor is a good fit for you and, and, and knowing what they're looking for is in alignment with what you're looking to accomplish. And you'll have a much happier experience that way. Of course, California, there are some million-dollar homes that do look like $100,000 homes. So, <laughs> you know, Stan, uh, we're going to be wrapping up here in a, in a few minutes, but I want to ask one last question. As many, you know, are afraid or at the very least concerned, they won't know what they're doing if they, if they take the plunge into, you know, business ownership. What advice would you leave them with, um, the ones they're feeling, and, of course, our listening audience? Well, to me, if it's not scary, it's probably something wrong with you. I mean, it is scary. You're talking about uh, you're talking about a long-term commitment, and you're talking about a lot of money to make even more money. So the best advice that I can give you is keep reaching for tools and resources like this program is providing. Um, I feel like we've gone heavy and maybe scaring people today, Paul. But you know, it's a good thing to get scared. It, Know that you mm-hmm. take this seriously. Take it seriously. There are tons of resources available to you. We've shared a few of those uh, with you today. And and go slow. If anybody tries to rush you into anything, then the thing to do is to turn around and rush in the other direction. You don't make these decisions with one side of your brain. You know, this is not like when you walk into a car dealership and you smell the leather and you take the test drive, you're engaging one side of your brain. It's the right side that's got all that emotion, but the left side is not mm-hmm. thinking about, hmm, how much is the insurance going to be? Is this going to be a big down payment? Do I have the money to do You have to think with both sides of the brain. And as you get into a business Absolutely. model like franchising, make sure both sides of your brain are, are in sync and take your time doing it right. Do your due diligence correctly. Learn all the things that you need to do. Do not rush into this. Rushing into it is easy. Rushing and getting out, not so much. Yeah, and, and just as uh, one fine point to that, just like you probably wouldn't go out and buy a house without your spouse looking at it, don't mm-hmm. buy a business without understanding, you know, how your spouse is potentially going to support you, even if it's just moral support. It's very, very important. Again, as I mentioned earlier, Stan and I are co-hosts on Franchise Today, which airs live Wednesdays at noon Eastern time, also on blog show. Blog Talk Radio. The show's about sensible, sustainable franchising. It's been on the air since 2009. Please listen in to some extraordinary interviews of some of the greatest leaders in franchising today, and you can learn more at blogtalkradio.com slash franchise today. Stan, I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for being our first guest on franchising, and you, myself, and our sponsors certainly appreciate it. Paul, it's an absolute pleasure to spend a little time with you this morning, and I'm proud and honored to be your uh, kickoff guest. And I'd be remiss if I let either of us get away from each other today without wishing a very, very, very happy birthday to a good friend of both of ours. In fact, I call him my brother from another mother, and that, of course, is the <laughs> guy who many many call the mayor of franchising, Mr. Jerry Darnell. So I wish absolutely. Jerry many happy returns today, Paul. Yep, absolutely. I as well. And as a reminder, Franchising and You will air live Saturdays at 9.30 Eastern and 8.30 Central Time. Next Saturday, my guest is franchise attorney Tom Spadia, and we'll be discussing the franchise disclosure document and ways to understand this very, very important document in your trek towards looking at a franchise. 
and that's Saturday, August 4th at 9.30 a.m. Eastern Time. If you'd like to have your questions answered by any of our guests or on the air, please write me at paul at franchisefound. Well, that's it for this week. Thank you for including franchising in you as you explore the wonderful world of franchising and business ownership. Dream it, wish it, do it. We're excited to be part of your quest for its franchise success. Have a great day.